Welcome to the Garden of Belonging, a podcast exploring the things that help us belong to ourselves and the things that get in our way. I'm your host, Kim K. Gray, a life coach for good girls and people pleasers, dedicated to helping them know, trust, and courageously share their voices. In this podcast, we will explore topics such as self-knowledge, self-trust, self-acceptance, and self-expression. The world needs our unique gifts. It's time we connect with our inner voice and show up fully as ourselves. Welcome back to the Garden of Belonging podcast. Today, my guest is Sheila Delaney Duke. Sheila is a coach, evocateur, and student of the human experience. She is driven by her own story to help us live and lead more authentically, more brightly, for the bone-deep satisfaction that comes from serving well. She focuses on the sweet spot where self-trust meets radical responsibility, knowing this is where mind, heart, and body come into potent alignment. She works directly with the energy of our desires and amplifies gifts we have already. Individuals and teams who engage with Sheila remember how to befriend themselves with kindness and calm and to extend this care to others. She left the practice of law nearly 20 years ago and has been a heart-centered coach and soulful mentor ever since. Follow Sheila on Instagram at Sheila Delaney Duke for details on her upcoming live event, Evermore Myself, Remembering, Reclaiming, and Rewilding Our Voices. Hi, Sheila. Thank you for being here. Hi, Kim. I'm so glad to be here. This is so great. Yay. Um, And one of my favorite topics ever. Oh, good. (laughs) Uh, would you mind starting by sharing a little bit about you and what you're passionate about? Sure. Um, so I'm Sheila. I am a, I'm a coach and I do a lot of work in the corporate world or with professionals, with surgeons and physicians. And, um, I have a real compassion and a real passion for people who do really big things that can either be artistically, that can be creatively, that can be about motherhood, that can also be in the corporate world. And I think that sometimes, for example, the people who we would view as having really big egos have really tender egos. And Mm. I think we need to be really vested in supporting their self-esteem and their confidence because if somebody's going to do a wicked brain surgery on me, I want them to be overconfident. (laughs) (laughs) It is not a character flaw right? Mm -hmm. And so I have a real passion for the breadth of the human experience. Um, I really love that we, how resilient we are. I'm so in love that with the fact that we can, we, we try and we fail and we fall down and we pick ourselves back up and we dust ourselves off and we give it another go and we grow all of the time. And, um, I really live in this state of constant fascination with kind of being human with the Mm. human experience. And that comes from probably my background in law. You know, I was a lawyer, so I was in the, you know, the hyper-driven corporate attorney space. I've been in banking. I've, you know, as with all of us, I have my stories of pain and grief and wounding and all of those things in my life. And all of them are a source of, of, um, a really deep fascination to me. And all of that really leads to (laughs) self-trust, right? Really developing this relationship of remembering who we are at the deepest center of our core 
And so this topic is really near and dear to my heart because it's, I think it's a thing that we remember to do versus mm. learn to do. Mm. So that's probably a good pause point. Yeah, I that's love that. That's a little bit about me. Yeah. So I've been coaching for 17 years now and it is a constant privilege to be in that space, either with one person or in a group facilitation kind of space. Um, It's good work, as you know. Yes. (laughs) Awesome. Well, about self-trust, what does self-trust mean to you and how has it affected your life? I think self-trust at its most basic means that I get to be a legit source of information for my own life. Mm. My opinions matter. My expertise on myself matters. My beliefs, my stories, my opinion matters at least as much, ideally more than anybody else's opinions on my life. So when we look at experts, when we look at parents, when we look at the wise people in our lives, all legitimate sources of wisdom that can speak into our lives. But self-trust says, I have to, I get to put myself in that same category and really trust that I have more expertise on my human experience than anybody else does. Um, So that's how I would define it. I think So the way it's impacted my life, I'm thinking probably the, a good story to share is um, when I had a health crisis about eight years ago and had to go through and make a decision about how to engage in the rest of my world. And I ended up landing on making a decision that it was time for me to withdraw from every leadership position I held, community boards I was on, places where I was volunteering. Um, it was time to contract and come back into myself, especially because what I was dealing with is an autoimmune disease where my body was confused about who the enemy is. To make a decision like that had real impact on other people, right? There were things I was committed to. It was a difficult decision. There was opportunity for me to lean into trusting this is the right thing. But where the rubber met the road is there was also self-trust that I could deal with the fallout. I was resilient enough to deal with other people's dissatisfaction and frustration with the real impact that was on them. And when I look back, it was absolutely the right decision. I had to retreat to focus on this autoimmune, on the inflammation. I had to contract again and come back into myself. Trusting that decision Trusting that, not even the decision, trusting the knowing that this is what was going to create more space for healing in my life was somewhat excruciating Mm. to then have the conversations and be able to look people in the eye and say, that thing I said I can do over the course of the next six months, I I can't be that person, was excruciating and also okay. Um, there were a couple of people who said, you need to fulfill your commitments. And I said, you're absolutely right. And self-trust says, I also put my commitment to myself on that same platform for consideration. And right now my health has to be primary. And so I choose it. Um, And so it was really a great exercise and initiation into really putting self-trust to the test 
And again, not the self-trust to make the decision, the self-trust that I could weather the fallout. That is the part that felt the hardest for me. Um, so that's probably the best example recently, you know, in the last 10 years of self-trust being put to the test. I love that. And what I like about that is that idea that you could trust that you could handle the fallout, because I think that's a piece that often holds us back from trusting ourselves because we're afraid of what people are going to say, how people are going to react and so on and so forth. And so being able to trust also that piece that I am resilient and I can handle that. Um, it's pretty important. I think it is important. And I think, you know, I know in my work when I'm dealing with whether that's friends or clients or myself, the self-trust around knowing the right thing to do. Sometimes we get, we think we don't know the right thing to do. More often we do know the right thing, the right, putting that in quotes, mm -hmm. thing to do, but we're not doing not because we don't think it's the right thing, but because we're afraid of that, the exact follow that you're thinking about. We're afraid of where else is this going to impact my life? We're afraid of, you know, do, can I handle the pressure or the power or the, um, the grief that it'll cause, or, you know, it can look like anything. It can look from one extreme to fallout and other people being unhappy with us to the ex other extreme, knowing we're going to create something really mighty and powerful that might require a lot of, of us. Do I, do I trust myself to be able to handle this thing that I want to create, be it a business, be it a piece of art, um, be it a family, the decision to have children? Can I trust myself to weather the highs and lows that come from a process like that? So. Mm hmm Yeah. Yeah. So was there a time in your life when you didn't trust yourself? And what was that like? Yeah, I think I'm weathering a bit of a, a bit of that real time right mm. now. So even in the last couple of years, and I would say it actually flows from this time when I withdrew from all my places. Mm. And even though it was the right thing to do, even though I weathered that fallout, any fallout that came, and by the way, lots of people were supportive and understood and said, hey, we, we'll figure this out. I find that one of the fallouts with myself is do I trust myself to make good commitments? Because autoimmune disease, which I've been fairly symptom-free from for the last number of years, is unpredictable. Right. I don't, I, I couldn't predict when I was going to have a flare. So if I was committing to being backstage for the Nutcracker for my daughter's performance in three months, what if I get to that day and I found my body was not up to it or that either that I was in pain or I was in inflammation or I was aware that I was right on the cusp and what I really needed to do was, was rest. I, my tr self-trust in the area of being able to make an informed commitment that would require something of me has been compromised by autoimmune disease. And it's one of the costs of autoimmune disease. I think we don't talk about enough, yeah. um, but it's real. And so trusting that I know how to make decisions about commitments with my time and even trusting that I can make commitments to myself and be trustworthy to fulfill them has been a challenge. And so it's been little baby steps. And especially now that I've been symptom free for so long, thankfully, um, 
it's really challenging then to notice, you know, a couple of years ago, the first season where I didn't commit as much around dance or being backstage or being supportive in some of those volunteer capacities. And I felt fine. I got there and I was fine and I could have. And so I'd show up in small little ways however I could. But then I felt guilty and terrible because I hadn't shown up because I didn't know I would feel great <laughs> and it would have been easy, right? So there's this yeah. circuitous thing that happens in my own mind and that feeds my beliefs and stories that I'm, I, oh, right, now I'm really not trustworthy with my ability to navigate my own commitments and energy going forward. And, um, and so I'm in the process of shaking that out now. Uh, it's definitely pushing my edges and my comfort zone a little bit to, to make a commitment and just trust myself that I'm going to be able to show up. And that if I really, really can't, I mean, anything could happen. Somebody could have a car accident. There could be medical emergencies. I mean, those things happen all the time and actually not all that often, both, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's okay to commit and trust that I'm going to be able to show up the way that I want to show up. Um, so that's definitely a real time piece of it. Um, and it, and I'd say it's coming. What I don't have trouble with, thankfully, is trusting my intentions and my desire too. So I know because I have pretty clean boundaries and pretty clear boundaries, my no's are pretty clear to me and I trust my own judgment around my yeses and my no's in terms of discerning which bucket do they go in, mm -hmm. where I have an extra pause, an extra beat that holds me back is on my yeses. And so how do I, with wisdom, discernment, and growth, commit to things that will call me out is a work in progress right now, including how do I grow my business and my work in the world? Um, how do I commit to my kids' things? How do I commit to family things and home renovations? And, you know, mm -hmm. it's really day-to-day -day things as well. Mm -hmm. That's probably the best, most living, breathing example. Yeah. I like that you bring that up because I think that it's interesting to think about self-trust along with um, autoimmune disease or chronic health problems or, you know, other extenuating mental health problems, circumstances, and how that fits in. Because you're right, we don't talk about that. <laughs> no. it, it's true. And when one cannot trust their body, yeah. Self-trust becomes a really loaded phrase, mm -hmm. right? And if we're in a relationship with our bodies where there is a lack of trust, then we're not in a place of healing, right? Mm -hmm. Versus I'm going to not commit. I'm going to give you my body, me, my body, the space that I need. That's not about trust. Trust comes off the table and it becomes about let's work together. We're going to, we're going to commit to what we can commit to and we're going to not commit to what we could not commit to. Um, and it's very simple, but as soon as this element of trust comes in, then I get to punish myself for being untrustworthy because yeah. my body is, uh, was unpredictable mm -hmm. for a time. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Um, how do you balance the voices of the experts, quote unquote, <laughs> with your own inner voice? 
So I might be, I'm learning I might be unique in this way and that that is not a struggle for me. Hmm. Um, I have not really at any time in my life been susceptible to experts, (laughs) which on the flip side means I've always been stubborn and willful. (laughs) (laughs) That's the other side of that. But um, where I believe I kind of came into the world with a sense of who I am and my parents really supported this sense that I knew who I was from a pretty young age. So the idea of peer pressure, I couldn't relate to Mm. in a lot of, in a lot of ways until much, much, much later in my professional life, actually. Um, And so this idea of being right, I mean, I fundamentally believe there is no one right way to pretty much anything. Um, I think there are easier ways and harder ways. I think there are lots of other words that can flow into this idea of the expert way, the one right way. And ideally what I want for all of us, including myself, is to take the best from those lessons, allow those to integrate into who we are so that we are actually affected by life, right? We want to be shaped by life. We want to be shaped by the people who speak wisdom into our lives. We want to be shaped by the people we care about. But that's different than handing over authority or mm. agency to somebody else mm-hmm. for my well-being, for my decisions, for my choices. And so that is my, my way, is to take the best. And sometimes, for example, I've definitely been in a scenario where people who I love, and I'm thinking of a particular example, one of my best friends from high school, her mom sent me a long email with a lot of loving advice based on some things she was seeing on how I show up in Facebook and, you know, social media. And so she made some assumptions and there was not one thing in there that I was willing to take on from an advice place. What I did receive absolutely was her love and care for me. Mm -hmm. And so that was a scenario where I received the love and rejected the advice or declined, not rejected. It wasn't that aggressive. It was just, and it declined, frankly, every word in the email, (laughs) but I know it was sent with genuine care. Yeah. You know, it was sent with love. And so that I could receive. I find I read books the same way. And I read the books because I'm fascinated about what they reveal to me about the human situation, again, because that's something I'm so deeply passionate about and inquisitive about and so often in wonder about. And so it reveals to me a different way people can show up in the world. And then I wonder, okay, how is this relevant to my experience, to my life? Oh, no way at all. Okay, that's interesting. (laughs) But now I've got a different lens that I know how to take on, put on and take off. Or it might be, oh, in these few ways it is. So I will allow those to integrate and steep in. I did get to a place at one point a couple of years ago where I went on an input fast. Um, I quit reading Anybody Expert. I quit listening to podcasts. Um, I quit listening to, I mean, people who are really smart and really wise, who I really respected, but I just needed an input fast altogether and to steep in my connection to myself in order to reinforce this self-trust and to remember, wait, I have my own resources. I am resourceful. I am resilient. I am whole. I am capable. I am creative. All of those things. 
what if I went through my life for a year with nobody else's opinions on what's possible? And so it was an experiment. Um, it wasn't, you know, even as I did it, it wasn't something I did tightly, like everybody get away from me. It, it was not that. It was mm -hmm. a, oh, let's see what if. And so it was in the spirit of experimentation and play. And it was really welcome. And so I find that I no longer feel pressure, frankly, to finish books or to read them page one to page end, mm -hmm. right? Um, I will flip or I will read through chapters or I will look at chapter headings. Sometimes I do read them cover to cover, you know, so there's no one rule or way I do that. But I consume the information for my curiosity now, as opposed to reading through this lens of how can this make me something or other? And that becomes the very last line of inquiry often. Mm -hmm. So that's what I do with that. Yeah. And I really honor the people who put their voices out there because I think there's something so rich. I'm so in love with our stories. Mm -hmm. And there's something really rich about somebody sharing their story and offering that out into the world. And so, so often as the expert, the way that I'm connecting with their expertise is to connect to their story. And I'm fascinated by what your story has revealed to you. And that's amazing. And it's got nothing to do with me, mm -hmm. but cool. <laughs> uh -huh. Right. At its most simple. And then of course there are variations all the way to the other extreme where the whole thing is like, wow, how did I never read this? Or it resonates so deeply that every word integrated and dropped right into my very being somewhere yeah. in my cells without me having to do a darn thing about it. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. And I think those are the stories that touch each of us. And I think why we need to share them because there's somebody somewhere who's like, oh, now I feel less alone mm -hmm. because I see myself in your story. Yeah. Tangent, but. <laughs> but really true. Tangent. Really, really, really true. Which then feeds that self-trust, right? Because yeah. it says, I'm not the only one. Yeah. And so if I'm not the only one, there's precedent mm, right. for somebody surviving this thing. Yeah. And my experience, I get to have my experience. I'm not fundamentally wrong just for having it. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Good tie-in. <laughs> <laughs> um, you talked a little bit about this, but I wonder if anything else comes up. Um, in this age of science and research and reason that teaches us the right way, how does self-trust fit in? I think it feeds our discernment. Mm. That is my hope. We know that we can look at science, at technology in the same vein as expertise to say, well, frankly, to prove almost anything, whatever position we're on, we can data, we can dig through data to find and prove our own stories, right? Um, fuel our belief systems, fuel our own values. If we're not seeing that in social media right now, for example, I don't know what else to call it, right? Mm -hmm. We get to breathe our own air over and over and over and over again, and it's recycled, and we're not stepping out of that. Self-trust at its cleanest allows us to read with discernment and say, mm, yeah, that's an interesting view. Do I believe it 
fundamentally, mm. just because science, and I'm putting that in quotes, mm -hmm. says X, does that always mean Y, right? So the first place I go, I deconstruct causal links a lot with my discernment to, in order to ask different questions. It's kind of how I consume information. Um, and so it is primarily that. There's also a place where, and I don't know if we're going to get to this, because for this, this ties into, I know you've talked about, you know, the idea of radical self-trust, mm -hmm. right? Is that next or should I touch this That's now? That's next, so yeah. <laughs> okay, <you're... laughs> perfect, okay. Because I think where we step into, where self-trust informs our discernment, we get to consume the world differently. We get to design and curate our human experience. Um, and there are a lot of ways that's great. I think self-trust taken to the extreme on a continuum can equate to narcissism, right? Mm -hmm. It means I am right and I trust myself absolutely. And y'all are cute, <laughs> but mine is the way, mm -hmm. right? All the way on the other side is the absence of self-trust and there is a relinquishing of responsibility at this end of the continuum. So with science and technology, one of the things that comes up for me, and this is really what sits at the heart of my work in the world, is where self-trust meets self-responsibility. And that's how I define radical self-trust, is um, radical self-trust both trusts our own judgment and discernment and takes responsibility for the fact that we have that because self-responsibility can also operate on this continuum. So if you're picturing a Venn diagram, right, the Vesica Pisces, if this is self-trust and we know all the way to this end is narcissism, I, mm -hmm. mine is the only right way. Self-responsibility can also go this way. We've got an extreme that says, if I'm entirely self-responsible, but I have no self-trust, I'm a martyr, I'm a sufferer, I am, you know, I take no, um, I don't value myself in the world. I'm going to be responsible not just for my stuff, but for everybody else's. So there's this distortion of responsibility that happens over here. Where you can bring together and overlap these two circles of self-trust and self-responsibility in the center, that is where I believe radical self-trust sits. That's the place where we can trust our own discernment and trust that we can take responsibility for the followed. Mm -hmm. um, trust that we know how to take responsibility if we make a mistake. Trust that we can take responsibility and be responsible for the things that are left behind with our discernment, right? The things that fall outside of our boundaries that aren't ours to hold, mm -hmm. right? And, we're, and to also trust when we decide to reach out of our boundaries to be of service, that that doesn't mean we we're going to succumb to that for all of time. So this intersection of self-trust and self-responsibility is really the sweet spot. And so when I think about science and technology, I think we have to take responsibility for ensuring our responsible is, has as much, the data we share, the information we share has as much integrity as we can know about to responsibly source literally everything we purchase, everything we consume, um, the things that we share and speak. Yeah, so that those two things can live together. So 
that's how, that's how that ties into that science and technology place for me mm-hmm. is yeah, we can outsource a lot. We can outsource responsibility, right? And say, well, somebody else said this, mm-hmm. therefore it must be true, mm-hmm. right? We can also outsource self-trust and say, well, everybody else says I'm right, therefore I must be. Or, you know, but it's in this, it's, there's this sweet spot that's just really incredibly rich. Yeah. And um, this also makes me think with the responsibility that it's easy when we're standing in a bit of self-trust when we, we read something that is in line with what we think and feel to just share that off without also having taking the responsibility to make sure like okay is this coming from a legitimate source um yeah yeah it includes how we speak truth in the world too so for example um, something that might come up in families or in, for me in my work with my clients, people who are super committed to speaking their truth, right? Because they trust, they've grown their trust in their truth speaking. But there's where there's a fallout is when they don't take responsibility for the emotional impact, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I'm like, oh, great, you've spoken your truth and look at all that fallout. Yeah, but I spoke my truth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that does not absolve you or me from taking responsibility for the emotional impact on somebody else or even on ourselves of speaking our truth you know so it can be conversational it can be in leadership it can be in parenting um those places where i have great self-trust in my own decision that you just lost your phone for a week (laughs) right and then how do i take responsibility when they come back to me and say yeah but i'm on the bus can we do this a different way being open to listen Mm-hmm. you know, to say, okay, like, let me be responsible, not just rigid in my rightness and control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What else can this look like? Yeah. I love that. Thank you for bringing that up, that the intersection of those two, that just seems yeah, really key. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> it's really become the sweet spot. Almost every client, every conversation I have now begins with this yeah. and yeah, it's, re- it's, it's rich and it's really fun to be able to make taking responsibility kind of fun, right? Because mm. responsibility can be a heavy word, yeah. but if you pair it with self-trust, it's all kinds of enlightening, expanding, opening, um, connecting. It facilitates connection and, mm-hmm. and relationship. So yeah, it's a neat spot. So thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's see. In relation to the radical self-trust, so the other piece of the radical I see is this idea of like going against the grain. Mm-hmm. So was there ever a time that you w- went against the grain and trusted your own instinct and had positive results and how did you handle the naysayers? So this is a funny story actually. Yes. <laughs> and so when um, my husband, when Dan and I were moving up here from LA, um, he had just finished his MBA. We had originally assumed we were going to be moving back to Calgary where I was going to go back into my law practice and Dan was going to go back to the bank. But a really, really special opportunity opened up for him in Seattle. And so we were moving to Seattle from LA for his job. We knew I could not practice law here, which is a whole different story. Um, I got a bee in my bonnet because I saw this job opening at World Vision for a technical writer. And I was like, 
I need to pursue this job. And so I applied for exactly one job. <laughs> and Dan um, was very patient, but also <laughs> maybe one other job. I was like, no, <laughs> it would be an act of, of disservice. It would be in opposition of my faith and trust in the order of things when my intuition speaks to me this clearly. This is the only job I can apply for. And he, you know, he tried and he would, and then a couple days later, he'd be like, so maybe two other jobs, can you, maybe, what if you applied for two jobs, right? And I just, and my family, my mom was a little like, what are you doing? And I was like, no, this is the one. But what I also did is back to this responsibility piece, although I wasn't conscious of it at the time, I applied for only one job. And I had this deep knowing, this deep intuition that that was exactly the right thing to do. I also took responsibility for working my network as hard as I could work it. Meaning I ended up, who do I know that works at World Vision anywhere in the world? Mm. Got on the phone. Mm -hmm. Who else can you connect me with? I networked my way through, other, through World Vision in other countries to get me to a senior enough leader in another country who then said, after our conversation, call so-and-so at World Vision US headquarters, tell him I told you to phone him and he owes me a favor and I'm calling it in or he won't call you back. That is exactly word for word the message you need to leave and then you tell him in your name and your number, nothing else. I was like, okay. So I did, and I'm not kidding. I probably spoke to 10 different people over the course of working this network. So I really took responsibility for not just, I trust this is the right thing, so I'm going to sit back and wait for it to fall on my lap. Mm. I trusted it was the right thing, so I worked the system as mm -hmm. clearly and effectively as I could. I eventually met with him. He said, yeah, he said, I wouldn't have called you back, but for that voicemail um, and me dropping this other name. So I went in to meet with him about this technical writing job, and he said, um, yeah, I don't know anything about that. And I was like, what? <laughs> like this, really? He goes, yeah, no, no, I can't tell you anything about it. And he said, but how do you feel about HIV AIDS? And I was like, it's bad. And he said, and that was literally my answer. And he said, based on what you've shared, based on what I see, I'm wondering if you'd be interested in coming in and helping to lead a global, uh, a national HIV AIDS awareness campaign on the global AIDS crisis, to which I said, yes, I'm interested. And we had this conversation. And so it all went as it should be. And that is the position I ended up doing. And it was, just a, it was as I was making the transition into coaching. So I took on this position. It was an amazing and outstanding experience. He knew that I was moving into coaching. And so this vice president I reported to would have me, you know, leverage some of that. It was, it could not have been a better bridge as I moved from law into coaching. The naysayers included my husband, who, um, to his credit, never got really panicky or really aggressive about, you need to apply for more jobs, um, who did honor it after the fact and was able to say, all right, you did it, what can I say? My mom was just still confounded. Um, but I didn't have anybody really aggressively. So I feel like that was sort of a benign example in that there was no super duper heavy resistance. 
as we might feel as artists, as writers, where we have stronger voices working against us. So it's a bit of a benign example, but the naysayer might have, I mean, I never related to the naysayer in my head. There wasn't one. There was such absolute surety that this is the one thing I need to pursue that I did. And even to sit, tell it now, it sounds a little nuts. Like <laughs> I sound a little off my rocker and I'm okay with that too. Um, and it could not have been better, could not have worked out better. Mm -hmm. And I love that you paired that trust with the responsibility and the action, right? It yeah. wasn't just yeah. like, oh, it's going to happen. Right. And <laughs> Which I think may that's... have like had the naysayers maybe acting a little bit more aggressively. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably exactly true. I've not thought about it, but that's probably exactly right now that you mention it. Um, because they could see me working, they could see me working it. Yeah. You know, I'm you're serious and yep. mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that is another distortion of self-trust. And I think we see this in lots of faith traditions where, well, we trust and, you know, I, I've, I've been part of conversations where people are praying and someone says, well, God told me to do this. And someone else says, God told me to do that. I'm like, great. Now you're just tell me, what do you do with God's inspiration when it's not the same between two people and you've got to work on the same project? that's a really difficult place. But if you put that that kind of like, I don't want to call that radical self-trust, that's kind of a hyper self-trust, like or a fixated, rigid sort of self-trust yeah. that is externalized but comes back to your certainty, our certainty that we have the one right piece of inspiration, um, shuts down communication, doesn't take responsibility for action, just locks everybody out. And I'd sit in that room and be like, where do you go from here? Yeah. You know, because if God Almighty has said, you paint it blue and told you to paint it red, we're stuck. You're stuck. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you find and take responsibility for finding a way through without it having to mean that that completely undermines your trust or your faith or your intuition? Um, because maybe that was exactly the right starting place. Like in my case, it started with this technical writing position, but it turned out to not be about that at all. Mm -hmm. So it was the first, in, it was the right initiator or catalyst, I would say. And then because I wasn't rigidly attached to that, it was able to become what it needed to be. Yeah. It's a bit of like trusting the process and not necessarily the outcome, like not being right. fixed to the outcome. Yeah, I think that's right. Outcome. And trusting that we know how to be fluid, adaptable, and flexible. Yeah. Um, but that the initiator is the right thing always. If we're mm -hmm. following our hearts, if we're following our, our hunger, our desire, what we want, whatever that thing is, whatever your language, if you start there, the path will, you know, will take us where to beautiful places, you know, bigger than, mm -hmm. than I could have imagined. My little technical writing job that I imagined would be interesting was nothing compared to traveling with children's choirs from Uganda, where two-thirds of the kids, well, all of the kids were HIV-AIDS affected, either orphaned or positive themselves. Mm -hmm. um, in this choir, hand-chosen by Bono, um, to travel with us, to the speakers, I, I could never have designed something that profound. My mm -hmm. imagination wasn't big enough at that point. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. 
So what practices and support do you have in place for trusting yourself? I will journal in a very particular way that sometimes looks like question and answer so that I'm seeing what's coming out when I need to make a decision, when I want to make a choice, when I'm looking for direction, um, when I'm wondering about my own position on a thing. I might just write it in my journal and say, how do I feel about this? And then I will answer the question. And there are places where, so I'm writing, 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 and then something drops in. And for anyone who's a writer, oh, sorry. <laughs> for anyone who's a writer, we know this, our relationship to the muse, right? The something other mm -hmm. that comes in and begins to move through us. That will happen when I'm answering my own question. And I, what I will do is I will actually change my font that I'm writing with so that I'm writing now and I can recognize it when I go back to it to say, this was the something other speaking through me. Mm. And then as soon as that's complete, I will go back to myself and I can feel the difference mm -hmm. between those two things because this is a longstanding practice for me. Um, but even just the Q&A is a really valuable exercise. Um, I'm also an active meditator. Um, <laughs> meditator. I have a meditation practice in which I repeatedly practice meditating to varying degrees of success. Mm -hmm. And that really supports it as well. That definitely supports that self-trust. Um, and I also have people in my life, thankfully, who will push on me. And, you know, I have people who are not above saying, when are you going to be done letting other people make your decisions for you? To which I'm like, ouch, and oh, right. <laughs> you know, I surrendered my authority over my life in this moment um, or in this, you know, whatever it is. And so making sure that I have the structure of really good friends who love me and know me well enough to know when I'm not showing up fully, when I'm taking an easy way out or when I'm um, letting other people, letting other people's opinions on my life matter more than my own. Mm -hmm. And I would say I have a pretty well-developed sense of self-trust and I think it comes with self-esteem and it comes with knowing who I am. And that does not in any way make me immune. Like this is such an ongoing constant growth area from completely shutting down and being like, what do I do? What do I do? I want a turtle in a corner, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, because again, what I find, I know what to do, but where I freeze is I don't know that I trust that I have the resilience for the outcome from taking the path. Mm -hmm. And that's, for me, my vulnerability and where I can get stuck. What I do have now is the awareness that this is true, the awareness that this is a vulnerability. And so when I feel that retreat, I can more often now reach out and say to, to my friends, you know this, <laughs> you've heard this, I, I'm, I'm stuck, you know, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Um, or go back to my journaling practice. And for me, that act of journaling in the way that I do it is repeatedly and consistently profound in sort of helping me to write that ship. And it still might not change my action. It might, but at least it helps me to restore, to come back to that grounding place of trust. Mm -hmm. So those are the big ones. Cool. Anything else about self-trust that needs to be said? Mm. I think it's a, it is a, 
I don't think I'm overstating the point when I say sacred or, or self-trust is the sacred act of remembering. It's not a thing we have to grow into or change or we need personality transplants in order to learn it, grow it, develop it. I think it's a matter of unwinding all of the stories and all of the beliefs that keep us constricted in other people's stories. Mm -hmm. And if we can remember ourselves, mm -hmm. remember our most natural or innate power is the word that's coming up. But what I mean that is that self sense of self, that's where that self-trust lives. And what I know is that the truth, when we hear it, Something that is true feels like remembering. It feels like that word I've been trying to look for all day and suddenly it drops in mm. and some part of me that didn't realize I was tense relaxes. Mm -hmm. That's what the truth lands like and self-trust can roll that way too. And so the more we become intimate with learning to recognize it and what it feels like, sounds like for ourselves, the more that is a gift to everybody around us so it is not just about you and about me growing our self-trust good for us it's better for our families it's better for the people around us it mm -hmm. is deeply of service i think to the human situation which brings us full circle mm -hmm. because i'm fascinated by the <laughs> web right mm -hmm. <laughs> and the fact that somebody else trusting themselves and being able to say a clean no or a clean yes when i ask them something that betters me mm -hmm. you know Something good happens to me as a result of their clarity. Absolutely. So that's what I'd add as the final so, note, I suppose. Well, thank you so much, Sheila. Thank you. Great topic. Yeah, it's very fun. Thank you for joining me in the Garden of Belonging. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you don't miss any others. And if you leave a review, it really helps it reach and support more people. If you'd like to explore these topics more deeply, join me in the Garden of Belonging community. There's a link in the show notes for more information about that. Until next time, take care of you. Music in this episode by Dan O. Songs. <laughs>